Gospels to you. All right, so you're going to Genesis chapter 17. Uh, if you're using the Bible on the page, uh, the chairs there, page 18. Genesis chapter 17. Uh, we're going to start in verse 15 this morning, page 18, if you're using the Bibles. Uh, when, a, when a man wants to propose to a woman, a lot of times he'll give this some thought. Right? Not nearly as much thought as the woman gives to how the man is going to propose to her, but the man will, will usually try to propose in a way that, one, catches his fiancée off guard, and two, in a way that it's, a, it's just very memorable, maybe, perhaps, very romantic. Now, on the, from, the, from the woman's side, the young woman's side, maybe in her mind she's, she knows it's coming, maybe they've skirted around the topic, they think they, they, they've talked about it, and she, she has it figured out, he's going to do it on this date, because this would be the anniversary of the first day our eyes made contact. <laughs> or maybe a little more realistic, she might be thinking, he's going to propose on this day because this was our first date, or this was when he asked me uh, to go out, or, or whatever the case. And maybe she starts to anticipate that, that, that proposal, and she's expecting it, and here comes that, that anniversary of that date, and, and he invites her out to dinner, and they're going out to dinner, and they go out, and they're going around different places, and she's thinking at any point tonight, and then the night comes and goes, and it doesn't happen, and she's disappointed. But she had an expectation that it, it would have been really good if it happened now, right? But she has no clue when it's coming, but she knows it's coming. But, but in, her, in her heart, she wants, to, she wants to plan that out for him. Not, not, not ever. That's very generalized, by the way. Now, I came across a, an article this week that had a video of a man who proposed to his wife that puts every other man to shame, and there's no way to compete with it. You know, you might think he put it up on the jumbotron at a, a game or something. No, this is far better than that. You, you might think he was, he was taking on a horse-drawn carriage ride and there was something Cinderella-like. And you'd be getting closer. But no, no, what he did was he had the skills and the opportunity to put him and her as characters in a Sleeping Beauty movie the animated movie, and here the, the animated movie is playing out, but the characters look a little different. Her Sleeping Beauty's skin in this particular case was a little darker than traditionally Sleeping Beauty's skin would be, and so that started to, to look like the, the fiancé. Um, uh, the, the, the prince was, was a little bit different. Look, his hair was a little bit more modernized than, than it would be in Sleeping Beauty. And then all of a sudden this prince leans down to kiss the, the Sleeping Beauty, and she pops up and she turns and faces the audience, and lo and behold, it's the fiancé. He had programmed or written or whatever you do to do this kind of thing. Her, as the character of Sleeping Beauty, she turns and looks at the audience and she's going, what? And then he's going, he's hitting her going, watch, watch, watch. Because then as the movie plays out, the scene plays out, the prince proceeds to drop to one knee and propose to the character in the Sleeping Beauty movie. Can you top that? He kept having to nudge her, keep watching, keep watching. I felt bad for him. He probably put so much time and effort into that. You know, there's no way that girl saw that coming. But I guarantee you it's far better than anything that she could have planned or imagined. Right? For, 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 for me, you know, my, my wife, our story, our, our, our engagement story is, um, I actually broadcasted that I was, I was planning to... Um, proposed to her on July 4th of 2006 while we were watching fireworks. And I didn't realize that until a year later. 
She knew the whole time that I was planning to propose to her because I had, there was an email chain going back and forth between me, my pastor's wife, and her. And I, in a moment of just not paying attention, I emailed and replied all and told my pastor's wife, I'm planning to propose July 4th, 2006. I never could figure out why my pastor's wife never responded to me on that email. But you know what, there were things, even though my wife knew that it was coming that night while we were watching fireworks, and she probably could figure out at that point it was going to be during the big finale. There's no way, there's no way she could have planned on stepping in a pile of fire ants and her foot swelling up. So therefore, me having to rush the proposal because she just ready, was, was ready to leave the park. And I hadn't proposed yet, right, because I'm waiting for the finale. See, there was elements of surprise to be, to be sure. A punch in the nose for me that left my eyes watering. She'll deny it to this very day if you ask her, but she's not here today for you to ask her. So there you go. Sometimes we expect and we try to plan things out and we think this is the best way that it can happen. And yet God has his own idea and his own plan and his own way that he wants to do things. And if we will just wait on him, if we will just trust him to play it out as he wants to play it out, to provide as he wants to provide, to bless as he wants to bless, we might find that it's not going to be how we expect it, but it's going to be far better than we would expect it. And that's what we're going to see this morning, that God's blessing may not come how we expect, but it will be better than we expect. So in Genesis chapter 17, we're picking up a, a, a story in the middle of a story. So last week we did Genesis 11, and we talked about the Tower of Babel, and right at the end we introduced Abraham. And we, we talked about how God was going to bring a promise of a blessing and covenant through Abraham. Well, we're picking up the story of Abraham now. Okay, so, so when we pick this up, there's some things that are happening. We're going to fill in some of those gaps. But let's, let's look at Genesis chapter 17. And first thing we're going to see is God's blessing may not come how we expect. So Genesis chapter 17, verse 15. And this is part of what John David read for us. Then God said to Abraham, as for your wife, you must no longer call her Sarai, Sarah will be her name. I will bless her and will give you a son through her. I will bless her and she will be um, a mother of nations. King of countries will come from her. Let's just pause for a moment because here's, here's what we need to know so far. Now, if you're reading through this Bible plan, you would have noticed that Abraham got a name change by this point. Used to be Abram, now he's Abraham, right? Now Sarai, his wife, is getting a name change also to Sarah. Okay, so that's taking place. Now God's changing names as he is, he is providing new things about his plan. So with Abraham, his name was changed. And by the way, Abraham, here's what I plan to do. I plan to bring many kids from you, make a nation out of you. So therefore, I'm going to change your name from Abram to Abraham, which is going to reflect that. Now, God had promised in Genesis 12 to Abraham that I'm going to, I'm going to give you this land that you're in. I'm going to give you a lot of descendants. You're going to have nations coming from you, and I'm going to bless you, and through you, all the rest of the nations of the earth will be blessed. So Abraham knew, I'm going to get a child out of this, and God's going to then pr uh, produce kids and kids and kids and kids from this, right, for generations. Abraham was 75. Abraham was 75 years old when God told him when he was in the, the region of Mesopotamia, close to Babylon, when he said, leave your family, leave everybody here, and I want you to go to the land that I'm leading. He was 75. 75 when God first gave him that promise and said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bring kids from you. I'm going to bring nations from you, and through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. I'm going to give you descendants. 75 years old. His wife would have been about 65 at that point. Now, people lived a lot longer in these days, so 75 was like mid-30s. He was young, 
right? Because Abraham lived to be 175. Okay, um, and, and, and Sarah, I think it was uh, 125 or 127, somewhere in that range, right? So, so he's 75 and he gets the promise. Somewhere between that time and the 10-year mark, Genesis 15 happens. Abraham has not had any kids yet. Sarah has not become pregnant yet. And so somewhere in this first 10 years, He's wondering, is God going to follow through? This God that called me out of this country and led me to this place, is he going to follow through? And so it's in Genesis 15 where you get God telling Abraham, come step outside your tent and look up at the stars and count them if you're able to count them. Of course, the idea is you can't count them. And he says, if you can number those stars, that's how many descendants you are going to have. Right, so God reconfirms his covenant to Abraham. Now, Abraham, at this point, he was thinking, well, I have no kids of my own, so I must be passing this, this promise, this covenant. It must be going to a servant, the senior servant in my house, a guy named Eliezer. He thought, at this point, that must be what God had planned. And so God steps in. He says, no, the son's going to come from you, and I'm going to multiply you and your family. Count them. And it's in Genesis 15 where God reconfirms that covenant with a vision of, of a pot of fire going through a, a bunch of cut animals. And it was the, the initiating of the covenant there. All right, but, but, but he keeps going along. So Abraham knows, okay, God's gonna give me a son. That's what God clarified. But Sarah has not become pregnant yet. 10 years comes. Abraham's 85, Sarah's 75. And, and Sarah's realizing she's frustrated. I can't give you a son. I mean, it's not happening Right, And so she, she, she comes up with her own plan. Take my maidservant, Hagar, and through her you can have a son. Common practice, by the way, not endorsed today. Okay, and so um, another day, another sermon. All right, and, and so, so he has a son through Hagar. See, here's what they're thinking at this point. Abraham, perhaps he's going, well, it's not how I thought it would happen, but God told me I would have a son. This, this would let me have a son, but it's not with Sarah, and I hope to have a son with Sarah. But Sarah, on the other hand, she's going, God gave a promise to you, and I'm not being able to produce a child for you. And so like many of us, we're looking at this point, it's been almost 10 years at this point, right? When, 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 when Hagar is given to Abraham, this is 10 years in the land, 10 years since the promise, and no kids yet. 11 years by the time Ishmael, the son between Abraham and Hagar is born. Would you wait 10 years 11 years, if you knew God was going to do something, he said, I'm, I'm going to step in here. I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to provide this for you. Or, or, or where you're waiting on him to answer some prayer you've been praying for a while. Would you wait 10 years with, with no sign that God's been doing anything? Would you wait? Or might you start to feel the temptation and the angst building up that, well, maybe God wants me to do something about this. Because surely if I was God, I would have done this by now. And I would have done it this way. And I've seen many opportunities come where I could have done this. And so they go about it their own way. Do you remember the Tower of Babel? We don't want to worship God, but we want to build a tower that reaches to the heavens so that our name may be great. It's a temptation for all of us. It's a temptation when we're expecting God to provide and we're hoping for God to provide. It's a temptation for all of us to not wait for him, instead to try to make our own way or to cooperate with God in that and say, well, let me help you out a little bit. And so Hagar gives birth to Ishmael. And, and Ishmael grows up, and then, and then 13 years later, Ishmael is now 13 years. Abraham, Abraham is 99, 98. Sarah, 10 years younger. 
Okay, so she was not able to produce a child before. So she's not expecting to produce a child now. Ishmael, the son that, that he had with Hagar is 13. Perhaps Abraham's now just expecting, this is how God's going to work. He's going to work through this son of mine. Because after all, that's what he promised. But then verse uh, chapter 17, we find out that no, God's going to clarify more. It's not just going to be your son, Abraham, but Sarah's. And that's where he's saying, I'm going to change her name. Sarah's going to be her name. I'm going to bless her and we'll give you a son through her. Now, you're, you're man, man, you're 99. Again, but he's living to, to 175, so he's like 40s now, maybe 50s. He's still, he's still capable, right? And, but, but, but Sarah, we're going to get some information on Sarah. She's not. She's not physically capable at this point. But here God is, the same God that called you out of the land, the same God that, that led you to this place and then, and then uh, a, a few years back had revealed himself to you and said, I'm going to give a son through you, the same God who gave you that vision and confirmed his covenant is now saying to you, it's going to be a son through Sarah. And she's going to have many nations come through her. Let's keep going, verse 17. Then Abraham bowed down with his face to the ground and laughed as he said to himself, can a son be born to a man who's 100 years old? Now look, guys, some of you know this. It's hard being the father. Let's, let's broaden that. It's hard being the parent of a newborn when you're in your 30s, when you're in your 20s, when you're in your 40s, some of you know this, some of you are in your 50s. Can you imagine having a newborn when you're 100 years old? No. <laughs> no. He bows down and he says, can a son be born to a man who is 100 years old? Now again, it's not the same 100 as we would be, right? He lives to 175. He has a whole other lifespan ahead of him, right? And so can Sarah bear a child at age of 90? Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And I don't know. I mean, I can't help but wonder, is Abraham thinking about the, the newborn stage? Can we, we already got a 13-year-old. We already been through that. Can we just do that? Can we just go that way? God, can you just work through what we've done here and bless that? How often do we pray and ask God to bless what we're doing instead of asking God, what do you want to do? I think we are far more guilty than we would give ourselves credit for of asking God to bless what we want to do and never asking God, what do you want to do? How do you want to do this? You see, because we come up with our own expectations of how we expect God to bless, how we expect God to provide, how we expect God to show up, and that includes the timing of it all. And yet, God's got different plans. Oh, that Ishmael might live before me. Verse 19, God says, no, Sarah, your wife, is going to bear you a son, and you will name him Isaac. I will confirm my covenant with him. So no, not Ishmael, not the son you already have. I'm going to confirm it with Isaac, the son you're going to have, the one that's going to come through this promise of mine. I will confirm my covenant with him as a perpetual covenant for his descendants after him. Verse 20, as for Ishmael, I have heard you. This is real gracious of God. I will indeed bless him. I will make him fruitful and give him a multitude of descendants. He will become the father of 12 princes. Interesting because there's 12 tribes of Israel. I will make him into a great nation. Verse 21, but I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this set time next year. When he finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. So God makes it clear, it's not gonna be through your preference. It's gonna be through my promise. 
How many times do we want God to work in accordance with our preference instead of through his promise? Because we're too impatient to wait for God or we have our own expectations of how things should turn out. And maybe God doesn't understand that. But God makes it clear it's not gonna be Ishmael. I'm gonna bless him. He's gonna, have a, he's gonna be a great nation also. But it's through Isaac. Now, I just wanna point one thing out in verse 22. God went up from him. And if you were to read back in Genesis 17, 1, where God first comes, he appears to Abraham. It is common very often in a lot of these stories that we're gonna look at as you're reading through them. When God is speaking to these people, he's physically present in a physical, visible form. Very common. Why else would the author describe him as going back up? See, oftentimes when I read this, and, and, I, and I'm not really reading for details, I'm reading, I'm going, okay, God's speaking. He's like this giant voice, right? The big voice coming out of the sky speaking to Abraham, or there's some light. Well, no, no, and it's gonna be, it's gonna be even more explicit here in just a moment. God went up from him. God and Abraham were having a face-to-face conversation in some way in which God was revealing himself in the form of a human, which, which helps us as we get to the New Testament when God does this again, but in a more permanent way. Because if you're a good Jew and you know your Old Testament, you already have a category for God revealing himself in human form. You've already encountered that. But we keep going. Verse 17, uh, chapter 17, verse 23, Abraham took his son Ishmael, every male in his household, whether born in his house or bought with money, and circumcised them on that very same day, just as God had told him. Because what happens right before verse 15, where we picked up, is God says, I want, I want to make a covenant with you in the sign of the covenant of circumcision. Now, I told one of you a couple weeks ago when you were asking me questions about circumcision after the sermon that we weren't going to talk about it. But we're going to talk about it. All right, and so verse 24, now Abraham, but we're going to do it in a very nice way, okay? But Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised. His son Ishmael was 13 years old when he was circumcised. Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised on the very same day. All the men of his household, whether born on his household or bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Here's why we're going to talk about it for a few minutes, because it is inextricably linked with God's promise to Abraham about Isaac. The two go together. Now, some interesting facts. Why circumcision? Um, Circumcision was not new, by the way. The people of Israel were not the first people to be circumcised, and they were not the only people to to practice that. And so this idea that we, me too, often get when we read through this is that this is how God was gonna set his people apart. This was not necessarily how he was setting them apart. In fact, what we have is more of an example of how God was using something that was already in practice in cultures around him. Egypt practiced this. Syria to the north practiced this. The Phoenicians by the sea practiced this, not necessarily in the same way and not necessarily for the same reasons. But God was taking something that was already known and already practicing it, and he was taking that and he was assigning it meaning for his people. And he does that often. He does that often. Baptism is a great example of this. Baptism is not uniquely Christian, water baptism. How we do it in the name of whom we do it is uniquely Christian. Baptism, water baptism, had been practiced for hundreds of years prior to Jesus showing up on the scene. And you know that because John the Baptist was baptizing, right? It's not, and then he got that from somewhere. 
All right, so God takes something that's already in place, already being practiced, but it's not the same. How do we know it's not the same? Well, we, we can read about that in, in, in extra writings, but you could go to Joshua chapter five, verse two. Don't turn there, I'll just tell you, but write it down because it'll blow your mind. Joshua chapter five, verse two, and Joshua's about to lead people into battle, this generation of people who's come out of Israel. Now, many of them had died, they'd wandered for 40 years in the desert, but the kids of those generations had grown up, and God tells Joshua, before you go in the battle, you need to re-circumcise the people, which implies what? That you've already got people who have been certain. This wasn't like you've got to do this for the first time. This was you need to do it again. Why? Because it wasn't practiced the same way as God instructed his people to practice that. That's all the details I'm giving you on that part from here, right? But, but here's the thing. So this, this sign, now maybe you're asking yourself, but God, you can do anything. Why this sign? Here's what I think. It is so connected to the promise of a child that the location would be a reminder of God's promise for generations to come. Not only for the men, but for the wife. This was a a sign that would be a reminder that the people of Israel owed their very existence to God making something happen where it was physically impossible to happen. The nation of Israel did not come into existence because they grew themselves. The nation of Israel came into existence because God called Abraham, and he passed the promise on from Abraham, not through Ishmael, a son that Abraham could make in his own way with Hagar, but through the son of the promise that God provided, Isaac. You cannot separate circumcision from the promise of God to provide Isaac. Now, every male in Abraham's household was circumcised that day. Maybe that day they didn't get it. Maybe that day they had heard rumors that Abraham heard from God again. And God apparently has a promise to ki- promised a kid. And then they had to go through this because this was the sign of the covenant. But then, just under a year later, when Isaac was born, every one of those men would know this God does the impossible because they also know how old Sarah is. And they also know that Sarah has not been able to produce kids for years. And yet God, through Sarah, is bringing about a son. You cannot separate these two. And so this became the sign of this particular covenant. Now, we don't practice that sign of the covenant as a covenant sign today because it's been replaced with baptism. Baptism is now the sign of the new covenant but we're gonna save that for later. But that's, that's about all I wanna say about that. But that's what happened, that's what Abraham does. It's not what he expected to be sure, but God's blessings will be better than we expect. So go with me to chapter 18, verse one. The Lord appeared to Abraham. Now again, you just stop there, you might think, oh, okay, some light, whatever. No, he appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre. While he was sitting at the entrance to his tent during the hottest time of the day, Abraham looked up and saw three men standing across from him. How many? Three men. Don't make more of this than it's not. It's not Father, Son, Holy Spirit here. One of them's God. Two of them are angels. They're divine beings accompanying God. You find that out as you keep reading, and they go and they take care of Sodom and Gomorrah. So he's sitting by the oak. By the way, if you are just, you got some free time and you want to do a fun study, 
Uh, look up the different types of trees in the Bible and what God does at trees. All right, and verse two, so Abraham looked up and he saw three men standing across from him. When he saw them, he ran from the entrance of the tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. Now I'm gonna cut some of the verses here that's coming up because what he does is he's going to show them uh, Near Eastern hospitality. He's gonna invite them to stay, come sit in the shade, let me go and provide some, some food for you, some water for you to refresh you. And what you find out is he goes in and he tells Sarah, I want you to go get this, this, uh, this animal, the best one we have, and I want you to slaughter it, have them slaughter it and prepare it. I mean, so we're talking about they're staying for a while, right? And I want you to prepare it, and here's how I want you to prepare the bread. And, and he's, he's got all this stuff prepared, and then he's gonna go bring all this meal to these, these, uh, these people, and he's gonna stand there while they eat it. He's gonna show them hospitality, which was extremely important in the Near East. And still is today in Eastern countries, not like what we did. I loved, I was eavesdropping on one of the sermon-based classes this morning, and they were talking about hospitality, and I loved it because um, they, they mentioned how different most of us are in showing hospitality. Like, if you just drop by our house and, and, and you're just unannounced, you're not getting a slaughtered animal and prepared for you special, you know, Brazilian style or whatever that you're just going to come and slide. No, um, as, as the teacher put it, we're going to call some pizza. We're going to call in some pizza, right? But no, it was, it was such a different mindset. In fact, to not do so would have been such an insult. All right, so he does that. All right, jump with me to verse nine now. They've done, they finished eating. Then they asked him, where is Sarah, your wife? He replied, there in the tent. One of them said, I will surely return to you when the season comes around again and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, not far behind him. Abraham and Sarah were old and advancing in years. Sarah had long uh, since passed menopause. Okay, it's physically impossible for her to have kids at this point. Okay, Abraham, not so much, but Sarah, physically impossible. Verse 12, so Sarah laughed to herself thinking, after I am worn out, will I have pleasure, especially when my husband is old too? And I'm not gonna comment on that phrase, but that word that, that bothers you in that sentence, she means what you think she means, okay? And so, and so here's what God's saying to her. We're going to have a son this time next year coming from Sarah, who it's physically impossible for her to have a child. In other words, when that baby comes, in fact, when you realize you're pregnant, there will be no doubt in your mind that this is the promise of God that the people of Israel who would follow from Abraham to Isaac, from Isaac to Jacob, and through the tribes would know we were born out of a promise, which keeps you humble as a group of people because you can't owe your existence to a bunch of people gathering around in a city building a tower. No, we are God's people through and through. He chose us apart from anything we ever did. He pulled us out of a group of rebellious people, led us to a place that he is giving us himself. He's made promises. He even brought our descendant, uh, Isaac, into existence in an impossible way, humanly speaking. There's no doubt. And our reminder, he gave us this sign that will remind us of his faithfulness to provide. Verse 13, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child when I'm old? Is anything impossible for the Lord? There's just a moment there. Have you ever thought about something and you think, God can't do that? You wouldn't say that because you, you've been in church long enough, you know that you shouldn't say that. 
Maybe you would say it this way. I don't think God is going to do it this way. Or, or maybe you, you, go, you say, I don't, I don't think God does it this way anymore. And you start to rationalize for yourself how God's gonna bless you, how he's gonna provide, how he's gonna show up. And you're, 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 you're making it fit. And you, you maybe don't think about it like this, but you're making it fit. It's not gonna be this way. He doesn't do it this way anymore. And so now you've got it fit to where, you know what? God doesn't even have to show up. You can make it work. And then you're gonna slap God's name on it and you're gonna say, God's so faithful. But you left no room for him to do anything. Perhaps you even laughed at the thought that God could do it that way or any other way apart from your understanding. There's Sarah. There's no way she's going. I haven't been able to produce a kid for for decades now. My body is incapable of doing this. This time next year, God says, you will have a son. Why did you laugh about that, Sarah? Is anything impossible for the Lord? Some of you need to hear that this morning because you're facing something. There's a challenge that you're coming up against. There's an obstacle that you're coming up against. There's some trials that you're in or maybe you're about to be in and you're going to be confronted with whether or not you're gonna depend upon the Lord. Is anything impossible for the Lord? Well, it didn't work out the way. Is anything impossible for the Lord? Well, I can't figure out how it could. Is anything impossible for the Lord? I will return to you when the season comes around again and Sarah will have a son. Sarah lied, saying, I did not laugh because she was afraid. But the Lord said, no, you did laugh. Just don't argue with the Lord. God's blessing may not come how we expect, but it will be better than we expect. Can you imagine Abraham and Sarah when Isaac came along and they're holding Isaac and the impossibility of that little boy in their arms? They're they're going, how could we have even been willing to settle? Now we love Ishmael. Well, Abraham did. He loves Ishmael. It's a funny story. Not funny for Hagar, who gets kicked out, right? But, but Abraham loves Ishmael, but how could he have been willing to settle for a plan that he concocted himself, that he could manage, when now you're looking at God's blessing and God's provision of his promise, and you're going, I can't believe I was willing to settle for anything less than what God had. How often do we settle for far less than what God has. Where we say, you know, I I just want it to be this way because as far as I can imagine, this is my best life. This is how I go about living my best life. I make my plans and it's good to plan. Proverbs says the heart of man makes his plans, but the Lord directs his steps. So you go on, you make your plans. You plot out your five-year vision, your 10-year vision. You, You plan out how many kids you wanna have but then you trust the Lord that he's gonna guide and direct your steps where he wants you to be, when he wants you to be there. But how often are we content to say, you know what, I don't don't need any more. And yet the Lord's saying, but I wanna give you far more if you would just open up. Just open up. Just trust me to provide. Just wait for me to provide. And I think, too, there's some grace in this for us because, like for me, for instance, uh, just take college decision. I went to Houston Baptist University for two years as a music major. 
because I thought I was going to stay in music. That was my goal. But I had scholarships to other schools. I had to take out loans for Houston Baptist. Two years, $30,000 of debt because of a girl. Because that girl was still staying put. Now, I look at that, and I go, man, Lord, you worked at Houston Baptist. There's some things you used there that shaped me and some people I met. I would have never met the pastor and his wife that so shaped me had I not stayed in Houston. And yet I firmly believe that, that my decision to go to Houston Baptist and to take out loans and to convince people to co-sign for me, that that, that that was not what God wanted for me. Because he had provided at other schools, it was almost covered. And yet there's some grace in that. Because God didn't stop working through me. He didn't say, well, you made a bad decision. I'm stopping now. I'm going to go find someone else who's willing to listen. Abraham, you made a bad decision. Hagar shouldn't have been your your go-to plan. Ishmael shouldn't be here right now. I'm going to go work through someone else. He didn't. Instead, in spite of that, he said, no, my promise is still coming. Abraham had some family dynamics that he has to deal with now. But my promise is still coming the way I want my promise to come. God does not quit because you make a bad decision. You're not gonna, you know, most of the things that we're saying, I wanna find God's will for my life, most of the decisions we're trying to make when we're trying to find God's will for your life really don't matter that much. Pick whatever school you wanna go to. Get in the job that you you wanna get, and if you don't get it, that's not a huge deal in the bigger picture because wherever you are, if you're living for the Lord, whatever school you end up for, at, if you're living faithfully for the Lord, if you're, if you're living on mission and you're, and you're living to the glory of God, that's what God wants you to do wherever you're at. So pray about your decisions, absolutely. Trust him to guide your steps. But if you don't end up where you think you want to end up, that's not as big of a deal as you think it is because God's not going to stop working through you because you somehow missed his will. Instead, God's just going to say, okay, but my promise is still coming. You might have to wait for it longer. You might have some things you've got to deal with that you wouldn't have had to otherwise, but God's not going to back away from being faithful to his promise. Some of you this morning, you've been praying prayers for people for a long time that the Lord would get a hold of them, that the Lord would change their heart, that the Lord would, would open their eyes, and you're watching them, and you see them making bad decisions, and you're going, what's going on here? You keep praying. You keep praying because God still can get a hold of them. It may be 40 years from now, but God can get a hold of them. Some of you, very specific to this story, maybe some of you have been praying prayers for children. And for one reason or another, you've been unable to have them. Keep praying those prayers. Maybe, maybe you've decided that it's impossible physically for you to have kids. Maybe that's what doctors have told you. Perhaps there's some or some you know who they need to hear, is anything too hard for the Lord? Or perhaps maybe you've got an expectation, this is how I'm going to become a mother. But God says, no, I want to bless you in far better ways than what you can even imagine for yourself. In the same way that God provided a son through a promise, through a miraculous birth for Abraham, he does that again. He does it a couple times, but he does it again in the New Testament where a young woman who nobody expected to be pregnant when she was pregnant 
becomes pregnant through miraculous work of the Lord. And, and, and the son that's born to her is a descendant of Abraham. And the promise of Abraham that's been passed down from Abraham to Isaac, from Isaac to Jacob, as we'll see next week, and from Jacob on through Judah, and from Judah all down through David, ultimately is passed on to this boy, Jesus, who is the one that God said in Genesis 12, through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. It is through Jesus who God provided in a miraculous way that he intends and does bless all the families of the earth. It's how everyone else outside of the nation of Israel is able to come into the family of God. It's how the people of Israel come into the family of God through this son of the promise, Jesus not through any other way that people would make. Not through trying to, to, to add something to, well, technically it's, it's faith, but I'm gonna add this to it. Mm -mm. Faith in Christ. Trusting God's promise, trusting God's provision. Some of you have been looking and, and expecting God to bless you like you belong in his family, but you don't belong in his family. And so there's a reason you're not experiencing the type of blessing that God wants to provide for you. There's a reason you're not experiencing the type of relationship with God that you're longing for. If you have not trusted in Christ, you don't belong to him. But you can. You can. Because through Christ, all the nations, that includes us, will be blessed. Stop trusting in the things you're trusting in and instead turn to Christ his death on the cross for you that you deserve, that I deserve, his resurrection from the dead to a new type of life where he overcomes sin and death and he now gives that life to us. Trust in him. Stop trusting in whatever it is you're trying to do because God's blessing may not come how we expect, but it will be better than we expect. So let's take a moment, ask the Lord, what are you saying to me this morning? What is it I need to hear from you this morning? Let's go before him. You give life. You are love. You bring light to the darkness. You give hope. You restore every heart that is broken. You give life.
Father, me included in this, but I think sometimes we're more comfortable with providing for ourselves than having you provide the way you want to provide. Sometimes I think we're more comfortable managing things in a way that makes sense to us instead of waiting on you to do things in a way that goes beyond our understanding. If I put it even more bluntly, God, sometimes we're more comfortable with the natural way of things than we are with you doing supernatural things. So God, would you shine shine your light on some of those areas where we've been settling for far less than what you want? God, maybe there's there's someone here and they're they're waiting to to, to find that person that they might marry and and they've been waiting longer than they want to wait or, or they're getting anxious or they set a certain age. And they're willing to settle for, for someone that doesn't meet the requirements that, that you would have. Maybe they're, they're far less than what you would, you would have for them or you would provide for them if that's part of your plan for them. God, I pray that you would encourage them to wait and trust you and encourage them in the waiting. Perhaps, God, there's, there's relationships where there's some really good things that you've promised and you've given to us in relationships that are designated and designed for marriage. And yet the pull is so strong. And so God, I pray that you would encourage those to wait because it's far better the way you designed and intended it. Father, there are some who are waiting for you to answer prayers and maybe they're tempted to stop praying. God, I pray that you would stir up in them a, a new desire to keep praying. And let your spirit pray on their behalf when they run out of things to pray. And even still, let your spirit guide them in how to pray. Father, maybe there's someone in the room who's, who's trying to have kids and they've not been able to. God, I pray that you would encourage them right now in this moment. And that, God, that you would show your compassion to them. And that, God, if this is what you have for them, that you would provide for them a child. And God, if that's not, that you would deepen their faith in you, that they would then be able to trust you for your provision and then see it. See the blessing in the things that you give. Father, for those this morning who don't belong to your family, but this morning you're calling them in, I pray that you would open their eyes, that they would trust in Christ that they might receive the blessing you have for all the nations through Christ. Here in just a moment, we are going to dismiss and uh, maybe you've got some things you want prayed about. Maybe there's something that the message stirred up, something that you brought with you. Um, Maybe you have a need for healing today, something physical, something uh, maybe mental. Uh, I encourage you to come find these folks that will be available for you and let them know what you'd like prayer about. And then they'll pray with you. If you have questions about what it looks like to trust Christ, um, they'll be available to visit with you about that as well. So if you're part of our prayer team, will you make your way to where you'd like to be in the room so that you can be available for folks to pray with? God, we don't want to be a people who claim your name and claim your power of changed lives and claim your spirit to be among us and yet we live in our own power. We don't want to settle, God. We don't want to be content with far less than what you provide. So let us depart from here in God and stir up in us a new desire to see you work in miraculous ways that go far beyond our understanding and our comfort. 
And God, do that to your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. See you guys next week. Thank <laughs> you.